Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Chapter 18, uh, just a reminder, we've been doing this for the past couple of months, but there is a Growing Beyond Sunday resource for you after the worship service out at the resource table. It's a one-sheet devotional guide geared towards the message that I preach today, but with more personal application. So I encourage you to take that as well as the sermon manuscripts of what I preach from are also out there. So if you want to just listen and not take notes, you're more than welcome to do that and get everything after the fact out there at the resource table. I came across a recent study, and it was done by hundreds of denominations across all the United States. It was done over 30 years of data collecting information about a profile for the perfect pastor. And here's what their findings were. He preaches a 15-minute sermon every week and includes deep theological insights in every message. He condemns sin but never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. doing everything from sermon prep, hospital visits, personal discipleship with other men, custodial duties of cleaning the bathroom, doing home visits in the evening, while at the same time making every one of his children's soccer games. He makes $400 a week and gives $200 back to the church in tithes and offerings, yet drives a Mercedes, has a huge library of books, wears designer clothes, and has a perfect marriage. He's 36 years old, but has been preaching for 40 years. He works with the youth group on Wednesday night, serves in the nursery, and also does services in the nursing homes on Sunday afternoons. He's always out at the coffee shop and restaurants meeting people and sharing the gospel, and he's always in his office if you just happen to drop by and need some counseling. On Monday nights, he has an elders meeting. On Tuesday nights, he has a deacons meeting. On Wednesday nights, after working with the youth, he volunteers at the soup kitchen. On Thursday nights, he has a small group Bible study in his home. On Friday afternoons, he does premarital counseling. On Sunday, he leads the men's prayer breakfast, and well, you know what he does on Sundays. After years of research from these thousands of profiles over 30 years, from all these churches, from all these denominations, from the perfect pastor, here's the stark reality that they found out. He burned himself out and died at the age of 32. Now, why do I bring up this issue of burnout? This issue of being exhausted and doing ministry? This same scenario almost happened to Moses. Moses almost burnt out, and he may have clearly missed out on what God had for him if he had died early from exhaustion in ministry, leading this band of Israelites. So let's read this morning, as we pick up where we were last week, Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. Exodus 18, starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning 
until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and the laws of God. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at some pretty practical issues in the book of Exodus. Two weeks ago, we looked at fervent prayer. Is your powerful weapon in spiritual warfare? Last week we looked at how do you share the gospel with those that are not believers, especially close family members. So prayer is very practical. Sharing the gospel is very practical. Today we get to another issue in the life of Israel, but also in our personal lives, in the life of this church, that's very practical. So here is the point of our text today. Here's the main idea of where we're going. Our church will experience spiritual health when we all share the load of ministry. Our church will experience spiritual health when we all share the load of ministry. That's a positive way to state it. Let me state it negatively. Let me state it the opposite. If one or two people do all the work in the church, we will not be healthy. We will be dysfunctional. We will not have peace. We will have burnout and disunity. So what I want to do this morning is show you in this passage of Scripture three major scenes, three major events of how this passage unfolds before us. And here's the first. The pressure of solo ministry. The pressure of solo ministry. Verses 13 through 18. Moses is there and he's... The only person that they're coming to from morning until evening, he doesn't have a break. He's exhausted. Now, let me just remind you who the Israelites are. There's probably 600,000 men, not to mention women and children. So scholars estimate 2 million people are coming to Moses all day long from morning until evening. 
with all types of problems, all types of issues, all types of disputes, maybe theological questions, nitpicky issues, anything else you can think of. Now, I have a sanctified imagination, and so I want to think about this passage of Scripture about some of the complaints, because I've been in pastoral ministry a long time, and I can imagine what the people told Moses. Now, this is not in your Bible. This is just what, what I imagine. So somebody comes up to Moses and say, hey, Moses, you know what? When you led us to the bitter waters, and then you threw the, the tree into the bitter waters, and it became sweet, you know, it just got a little bit too sweet for my tastes. Maybe just tone down on the sugar next time. A little bit too sweet. Oh, yeah, Mo another, another family comes in. Moses, we really loved it when God led us to the 12 springs of Elam. But you know what? It really would have been better if you had 13 because we had to share with the Andersons. And you know about the Andersons and their children. And, well, I don't have to tell you much more, Moses. You know about them and their kids. Or somebody comes to Moses, let me, Moses, let me give you some advice. Next time when you hold your hands up when we're a battle, here's how you should do it. I know better than you, Moses. Or maybe somebody comes to him and says, Moses, we really like your preaching and teaching, but you're going on pretty long. The children's workers are getting kind of restless. So, you know, this, the whole preaching and teaching thing, tone down on the, on the timely. I mean, we could go on and on in our imagination about what these people are coming to Moses with. Which leads to a very important question. What was Moses' role in Israel. He's what I call the shepherd prophet to the people. He's the shepherd and he's the prophet, the shepherd prophet. He's the primary preacher and he's the primary pastor. So there are two major activities that Moses does in the life of Israel. First of all, Moses is the pastor. He's the shepherd. He's going to provide godly counsel. He's going to pray for the people. He's going to minister to the people. He's going to shepherd and lead and guide the people when they come to him with issues in their lives. We see this in verse 15. Jethro's like, what are you doing, Moses? All these people are coming to you. And, and Moses says in verse 15 to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. They're coming to me for advice. They're coming to me for spiritual care. They want to know God's will for their life. They're coming to me to inquire of God. They're coming to me with prayer requests. They're coming to me with all their issues, and, and I need to pastor them. I need to help them. I need to encourage them. So that's one of the roles we see of Moses. The second role we see of Moses is he's to preach and teach God's word to the people. Notice we see this in verse 16. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. I make known the word of God to them. I'm the preacher. I'm the teacher. Now, obviously, there's not a direct correlation between Moses and lead pastors today in churches, but there is somewhat of a correlation. When you think about Moses' two responsibilities, those are the two responsibilities that lead pastors have when we lead the church. We are primarily responsible for the shepherding ministries of the church to care, to shepherd, to lead, and we're also primarily responsible for the preaching and teaching ministries of the life of the church. And so Jethro comes to Moses in verse 17, and he emphatically says to him, what you're doing is not good. It's not good. Verse 18, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy and you're not able to bear it alone. Moses, you're going to experience frustration. 
You're going to experience burnout. You're going to experience exhaustion. This is not good for you personally, Moses. And it's not good for the people. They're going to get impatient. If you're the only one they're coming to and they have to stand in line and there's jealousies and people's needs aren't getting met, it's just, it's not going to, it's a lose-lose situation. It's not good for anybody. So this is the pressure of solo ministry. This was not God's design for the people of Israel. And it's not God's design for the church today. For one person to do all the work of ministry, it's not good. That one person will burn out. That one person will get exhausted. And a lot of churches, sadly, today, and I've got a lot of experience in this. I, I've, I've, I've been in ministry a long time. Um, I was a state convention president of Colorado Baptist, and so I, I know a lot of churches around our area, especially the smaller the church. The smaller the church, the greater the responsibility placed upon the pastor to do everything. And a lot of small churches, they expect the pastor to do everything. Now, as the church gets larger, there's a little bit more of an understanding. But there's unrealistic demands placed oftentimes on pastors. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. I went back and I, I looked at our list of active members and people that are connected to Emmanuel Baptist Church. And there's about 150 what we call family units. That could be a family, that could be an individual. There's 150 family units or individuals. And if I were to have lunch or if I were to get into your home or if I were to have a home visit or dinner once a week with every family unit, just me, that would take me a little over three years to accomplish, to do that. Now let's put this into perspective with Moses. And Mickey, you can check my math here, accountant down there. Let's say one representative from 600,000 families meets with Moses every day. Okay? One representative from 600,000 families meets with Moses every day. How many days would that take for Moses to meet with everybody? Well, 1,643 years. Take that Moses that long to get everybody's needs met just in one day. So what we see here, first of all, is the pressure of solo ministry. Jethro says to Moses, what you're doing is not good. You're going to burn out. You're going to wear yourself out. The people are going to get impatient. There's going to be dysfunctionality in Israel. In the same token, there'll be dysfunctionality in the life of the church as well, on the microcosm to the macrocosm of Israel. All right, let's secondly, let's look at the second thing. If the first was the pressure of solo ministry, here we see, secondly, the plan for shared ministry. This is in verses 19 through 23, the, the plan. So Jethro, a, and this is kind of interesting. Last week we saw the conversion of Jethro. He's a new believer, but he's also a man that's got some wisdom, and I believe it's godly wisdom, but notice what he says to Moses in verse 19. Now obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the law and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Jethro says, Moses, you can't not be the key leader in Israel. You're still going to be the chief 
shepherd. You're going to be the lead pastor. You're going to be the shepherd prophet to the people in Israel. There's, there's some things, Moses, you just can't give up doing. You can't advocate. You can't delegate. You are the spokesman for God. You're the key pastor. You're the key leader. You can't abdicate those. And in the same way, as a lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, there are some things I just can't delegate. I can't delegate this pulpit. I, I'm called every Sunday to stand before you and preach God's word. The overall vision and ministry and effectiveness and shepherding of the church, God has called me to, to lead in that. So there's some things that I just can't abdicate or, or, or delegate. There's some things I absolutely have to do, but at the same time, I can't do everything also. When you think about the early church, you remember what happened in the early church? So the Hellenistic widows were getting overlooked in the distribution of the food. There was daily distribution of food. Uh, there were some benevolence issues that weren't going the way they should have been going. People's needs weren't getting met. And so they were complaining. They were coming to the apostles and they were complaining. Like they were probably coming to Moses and complaining. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, the key leaders, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, the original apostles were not above meeting physical needs. They weren't above that, but they realized that with a growing church family, they had to be responsible for prayer and the ministry of the word, preaching, teaching, overall leadership. That's why they appointed deacons to meet the physical needs of the widows that were getting overlooked in the daily distribution. And so that's basically what Jethro says to Moses. Moses, you're the key leader, and you, there's some things you can't delegate. You've got to be the primary pastor, the primary preacher, the primary teacher, but you need to delegate your ministry. And so that's what we do. That's, in verse 21, we see what Jethro does. He says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, and place such men over people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. Divide and conquer. You're going to get more ministry done if you break them up into smaller groups. So what we see in verse 21 is very interesting. We see the criteria for effective and shared leadership. Jethro didn't say, hey, Moses, just go pick anybody to be the leader. Whoever's got a pulse. No, he has criteria. Notice what he says. First of all, Israel must have competent men. Find able men. These men must be able to listen, able to weigh cases, able to shepherd, able to understand interpersonal dynamics with people, men who had competency. They could care for people. They could shepherd, okay? Second, Israel must have representative men. Notice what he says there. From all the people. You need to pick your own leaders, Israelites. 
And we don't want to have a good old boy system. We won't want to stack the deck. We don't want to play favorites. But we do want to have you have some ownership to pick your own leaders. So the congregation is integral in picking their own leaders. And, and actually, we find that back in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 13 and 15. Moses is reminding them of what they had done. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men. And I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, and commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. So the leaders had to come from the people. They had to be competent men. They had to be representative men. But third, Israel must have spiritual men. Notice there in verse 21. Look for able men. From all the people, men who fear God. Men who fear God. They have a close walk with the Lord. They're godly men. They're saturated in the scriptures. They have a vibrant walk with the Lord. They fear the Lord. Psalm 110, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So competent men, representative men, spiritual men. And then number four, Israel must have trustworthy men who are not ones who would take a bribe. They're men of integrity. They're not influenced by the love of money. They have good reputations with others. So they're, they're competent men. They're representative men they're God-fearing spiritual men, and they're trustworthy men of integrity. Choose these type of men. Let the people give input into that, that they see that in others, and then Moses appoint them. So probably the more competent, the more, the more able, over thousands, and then over five hundreds, then over hundreds, then over tens. Divide that up. And then in verse 22, Moses, it's kind of like a Supreme Court. If they can't do it at the lower level, it works its way up the chain. And there may be some things, Moses, that finally get up to you. Verse 22. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So Moses, if they can't handle it at the lower level and it works itself up the chain, you're still going to have to take some primary responsibility. You, you get to deal with the big stuff. The buck stops with you, Moses. You get to deal with the big stuff. Moses, that's why you get paid the big bucks. Okay? But then look at verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Do you see what it says there? God's going to direct you, Moses, and if this works, there's going to be peace in Jerusalem. There's going to be peace in Israel. There's going to be peace among the people. There's not going to be dysfunction. There's not going to be disunity. There's not going to be impatience. There's not going to be frustration. There's going to be peace because the Lord will direct you. That's what we as elders need here at Emmanuel. We need that same prayer that the Lord will direct us to do what God has called us to do, to give us strength and wisdom to be directed. Okay, so we've seen the pressure of solo ministry. This is not good. We've seen the plan, okay? Moses find competent, able, spiritual, trustworthy men and divide them up and let them minister so that they're shared ministry, okay? 
the, the third thing is, is basic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the third thing, we see this in verses 24 through 27, the practice of shared ministry. Simply put, Moses put it into practice. He, he, he took Jethro's advice, he picked qualified men, and they did the ministry. Verse 26 is kind of a summary statement. They judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided among themselves. Okay. That's the text. Okay, we can go home now, right? No. The pressure of solo ministry, the plan for shared ministry, and then the practice of shared ministry. Okay, let's make this very practical. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to be talking to us as a congregation this morning to practical points of application that we need to consider this morning as a church family. Because what's the issue? Do we want to be a healthy, vibrant, effective, fruitful church family? Hopefully you say yes. Okay, so here's two big ticket issues of application. Okay, so, so here's the first, and these emerge directly from the model we see here in Exodus, but also the model we see that Paul and the others set up in the early church. So here's the first point of application. First of all, a healthy church needs qualified elders to provide spiritual leadership. A healthy church needs qualified elders to provide spiritual leadership. Now, we are an elder-led church. We have qualified and appointed and installed elders who lead. But this model came from the early church. Paul, when he went on his missionary journeys, he would install elders in the towns where he went to. And he spent his longest ministry in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And as he's about ready to leave Ephesus and to go on to his next missionary task, he gathers, he summons the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And, and he actually gives somewhat of a sermon to them. He gives a farewell address. And from Paul's farewell address to the elders in Ephesus, we learn a lot about what elders are supposed to do in the life of a church. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, elders. You want to know the Greek word for elder? Presbyteros. Get our word Presbyterian from it. Presbyteros. It means elder. Okay? And then later on in that passage, Acts 20 through 27, or ch chapter 20, 27 through 28, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Paul uses three interchangeable words to talk about the same person. Elder, overseer, pastor. Three Greek words that all mean the same function, they all the same person. So the Lord has appointed godly men in the life of the church to serve as elders, to oversee, to shepherd. And notice what it says there, to keep watch over the flock. Because there's going to come in fierce wolves that are going to ravage the flock. And so one of the goals, one of the responsibilities of elders is to protect the church from false doctrine, protect the church from disunity, protect the church from anything that would come in and tear it apart. So we're to be watchmen on the wall, making sure that, that the church is spiritually healthy and functioning. Now, one of the other key passages in the Bible that talks about the role of elders is from 1 Timothy 5.17. 
I don't particularly like the way the ESV translates this because I think it functions more under a Presbyterian model of government, more so than a Baptistic model of government. But it says, let the elders who rule well. I don't like the, the translation rule. I think the, the Greek word there, prohistemi, really means to lead well. We'll talk about that. But let the elders who lead well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. We are not an elder-ruled church. Some churches have the elders. They make all the decisions. They rule. They're the ones that do everything. That's not a manual. We are an elder-led church. We lead, but you as a congregation are the final vote of, you're the final court of appeal. You're the final voice. You're, you're, you have the vote. It's still congregational polity, even though the elders lead. And so this word lead, it's one of Paul's favorite words there. It really has two shades of meaning. One, it literally means to stand in front of, to lead, but it also secondly means to do so with compassion, to do so as a servant. So it really means servant leadership. A pastor and elders are those who provide servant leadership. And, 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 and I like the, 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 way, the image of the word, to stand before. Okay, so, so think about what, what a pastor does every Sunday. I stand before you every week as your leader, and I preach and exposit God's word. So I, I, I physically stand before you each week. But in a symbolic way, we as elders, in, in a sense, stand before the congregation as leaders, as trailblazers, as the ones that are seeking God's face, the ones that are praying, the ones that are, that are seeking God's will for the church out in front of the congregation so that you guys can look at us as models as far as where the Lord is taking us. And, and Paul says, let the elders who lead well lead well, which means that there can be elders that don't lead well. They can lead poorly. There's another passage of scripture that uses that same Greek word to lead uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you. Now, over you in the Lord is the same, the same Greek word there. Those who lead you in the Lord. Those who are your, your elders. Those who are your pastors. And admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul's saying, listen, the congregation, you need to esteem your elders because they're spiritually leading you. They're, they're admonishing you. They're encouraging you. And so they are your spiritual leaders. And then you also have um, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We as elders are called to keep watch over your souls. Now, this, is, this verse scares me to death. We, in our elders' meetings, we'll sometimes come back to this passage of Scripture, and I'll read it, and I can, look at, I can see the sense of dread in the other elders' eyes when I read that passage of Scripture. I've got a sense of dread in my eyes, too. We will have to give an account on the day of judgment on how we oversaw your souls. That's a high and holy calling. To stand before the living God on the final day and give an account for how we shepherded and pastored and led you. 1 Peter 5, 2-3. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight and not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
We can go on and on about these passages about elders. Let me just be real practical. We have what we call a plurality of elders at Emmanuel, meaning that I'm not the solo pastor. We have a body of other godly men who serve as elders alongside of me. And for that, I am thankful. I cannot tell you how many times our elders have borne the burden spiritual burdens that I've carried, personal burdens I've carried that our families carry. There are things that have been done behind the scenes in this church for the past 14 years that I've been here by our elders that you will never know. But just praise the Lord it was done because it's made our church a lot healthier. And I have not had to do this alone. When I stepped foot in here in 2005 as your pastor, I was a young 32-year-old kid that had no idea what I was doing. And now that I'm 40, however old I am, do the math, I'm 47. What, how, am I 47, Don? I think so. Point is, I don't, I'm not good at math, and I still don't know what I'm doing, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. The things that I've had to face as pastor of this church, I could never have done alone without a body of elders that have prayed for me, that have come alongside me. So that's the model that Jethro told to Moses. Moses, you can't be out there on an island by yourself. You're going to burn out. You're, you're going to be, it's just not going to be good. And so the model for Israel is the same for the model of a church. A church is healthy when there's shared leadership among the spiritual leaders of the church, a body of elders. So we've modeled our church a little bit after what we see here in Exodus of shared leadership, but also of what the New Testament tells us. So application number one, our church will not be healthy if we don't have spiritually qualified leaders called elders, providing the spiritual leadership of the church. And I am thankful for our leaders. After this service, go give an, this is give an elder a hug Sunday. I know this is Mother's Day. Give your mom a hug. This is also give an elder a hug Sunday. So after the service, go to one of our elders. If you don't know who they are, just ask, and, 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 and I'm not going to have them stand up here and raise their hand, but go to one of our elders, give them a hug, and say thank you for shepherding this church. Just do that for me. All right. Second big application point this morning. I've talked about leaders, now I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you now, okay? Second, a healthy church needs all, focus there on all, the members to exercise their spiritual gifts in shared ministry. Now, I've just talked about elders, and I'm thankful for what the elders do, but the elders aren't called to do all the work of ministry. They lead, we guide, we shepherd. But let me give you a passage of Scripture that tells you what our job description is. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13 is the job description of me. So if you want to know the pastor's job description, here it is. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, what that passage does not say is that God's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do the work of ministry. It's to equip the saints to do the works of ministry. My job is to equip you to encourage you, to challenge you, to teach you, to motivate you, so that you all, we all together, do the works of ministry. That we're all using our gifts, that we're all serving. That I'm equipping you to do that. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10-11, through 11, 
Peter's very emphatic about gifting. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this, this verse is kind of frustrating to some of us because Peter just says, okay, you got a spiritual gift, use it. He assumes you've got one, and he's telling you to use it. Now, another sermon for another day is, okay, how do I discover what my gifts are and what are those gifts? I don't have time to do that this morning. Peter assumes you have a gift and you should be using it. Now, he gives two big overarching categories, speaking and serving. Now, these are big categories. There's speaking gifts, those that teach, those that preach, those that have the ability to communicate truth. Not many people in the life of the church have the speaking gifts. It's a very small proportion. The second big category is serving gifts. That's where the majority of the gifting lies in the life of a church, those that serve in all different types of capacities. And so we're called to all do the work of ministry. Now, here's what I've seen also in my many years of church life in almost every church that I've served in or been a part of. And I don't know the exact percentage, but this is a guess, and I think it's probably pretty accurate. Probably on average, in most churches that I've served in and probably churches you've been a part of, 15 to 20% of the people do 80 to 90% of the work small handful of people doing the largest majority of the work. And what does that cause in the life of a church? If you've got a small percentage doing everything, it's going to lead to frustration, burnout, exhaustion. As Jethro would say, if Jethro would walk into the church, he'd say, that's not good. You're going to wear yourselves out. The small group of people that are serving are going to be worn out, and the large group of people that aren't getting their needs met are going to get upset. So it's still a lose-lose situation. So here's the bottom line for Israel and the bottom line for us as a church. It's very simple. When one person or a small handful of people do all the work of ministry, it's not healthy. It's dysfunctional. It's frustrating. It's exhausting. It's not fruitful. It's not the way God intended for Israel to operate. It's not the way God intended for the church to operate when a small handful of people do all the works of ministry. When it's shared among qualified leaders and the church body at large, the church is healthy, the church is fruitful, the church is being blessed. I want you to notice verse 23. If if there's one thing that stood out to me, it's, it's verse 23. It gave me great encouragement. If you do this, God will direct you. What do we need? We need God to direct us. But notice what it says. You'll be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in what? In peace. Moses, if you implement this plan, there's going to be peace in Israel. People are going to be happy. People's needs are going to be taken care of. It's going to be healthy. It's going to be functioning. It's going to be fruitful. Same thing in the life of a church. If everybody's doing their part, if everybody's sharing their load, if everybody's working in ministry, there's going to be peace. People are going to go home in peace because their needs have been met. They're not frustrated. They're not burnt out. They're not impatient. It's working the way it's supposed to be working. Now, 
I have a challenge this morning in closing. Two challenges. Here's challenge number one for you. Would you commit to diligently pray for the spiritual leaders of Emmanuel? That includes myself. That includes Pastor Andrew. That includes our elders. Would you commit to pray diligently for us that God would direct us? That God would guide us, that God would lead us, that God would call us forward into being the leaders he's called us to be. So the first thing I'm asking you to do is, will you diligently pray for the elders, the leaders of Emmanuel? And here's number two, and I'm going to be as blunt as I can on this, okay? Great Mother's Day sermon, right? Be be blunt, talking about serving in church. Would you commit to getting off the sidelines and get into the game? Get off the sidelines and get into the game. Begin serving. You may say, I don't know where to serve. Come ask me. I'll find a place for you to serve. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. We'll help you. I'd rather you get involved and start doing it and floundering than to sit on the sidelines and not do anything. Get involved in the life of the church. So here's the point. We all need to share the load. Now, the only way we can do this is through grace. The only way we can do this is through the grace and power that God supplies. So one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture, you've got to think deeply about this passage of Scripture because it has implications for your entire life. 2 Peter 1.3. I'm going to read this first and just let it sink in. His divine power has granted to us a few little things here and there that pertain to life and godliness. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says His divine power has granted to us what? all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God has given you everything you need to serve him. His divine power is available to you. His grace is there for the taking. The question is, are you going to receive that and by God's power serve and share the load, and be the kind of church that God wants us to be. Will you pray for your leaders? Will you actively get involved in the life of the church? Would you want Emmanuel Baptist Church to be a fully functioning, healthy, fruitful, vibrant, effective church for the glory of God, or do we want to be stymied, stifled, unhealthy, dysfunctional, disunified? Because there's a small group of people doing all the work, and there's burnout, and there's frustration. Let's be a church that glorifies God where everybody takes responsibility to share the load for his glory alone. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning and spend a few moments asking the Lord to speak to your heart, maybe pray about your involvement in the life of the church, pray about maybe the Lord's bringing a specific elder to your heart to pray for just however you need to respond to the Lord spend a few moments doing that this morning Father I thank you that you have called me to be the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church and Lord it's been a joy to serve alongside of our our elders Um, Lord it's been a a great privilege to know that you have um, brought them here to, to serve alongside of me and I'm going to do something, and I'm going to interrupt my own prayer. <laughs> I just feel led to have our elders come up here. Would our elders just come up here right now during this time? I want to just pray for you. And so Mickey and Glenn and even Andrew and Russell and Dwight, 
Dwayne, just come on down here. Um, and let's just do this. If you feel led to come up and just pray for any of these elders this morning and just maybe lay hands upon them and encourage them, I'd, I'd ask that you do that as a sign of affirmation just to bless them this morning. So if you feel led to do that, just let's just have a time of prayer over our spiritual leaders. If you feel led to do that, um, this wasn't planned. They probably are wondering, <laughs> why am I up here? But let's just pray over our leaders if you feel led to do that, just to come and maybe there's a particular one you feel encouraged to want to pray for this morning. And I will pray for them and then we'll just encourage them. Father, I do pray for our, our leaders, Lord. I'm thankful for Glenn. I'm thankful for Mickey. I'm thankful for Russell and Dwayne and Andrew. Lord, I'm thankful for their wisdom. I'm thankful for their leadership. I'm thankful for their humility. Lord, there's been so many times that they've been a light. To me. And Lord, I just want to publicly say thank you for them. This church would not be the church it would be without these men leading. So Lord, I pray for them. I encourage them. I pray for their wives. pray for their families. Lord, help them to be the men you've called them to be as, as they help lead this church. And Lord, help us as we serve. So we get actively involved in the life of this church. Lord, there may be some people out there today that you've touched their heart about getting off the sidelines and wanting to serve. And Lord, we just pray that we'd be able to help navigate that and help them find a place to serve. Lord, we want to be a, a fruitful, effective church for your glory. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would have qualified spiritual leaders and, Lord, we would be a church that shares a load. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.